becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stood around a crowd. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Hopefully we got it. We'll find out. Everything does sound different. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, is it going to bug you? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Are you okay <laughs> with it? Yeah, I'm okay with All it. All right, here we go. Cheers to the shores. To the shores. Well, we're definitely on a different shore today. That's right. <laughs> so Austin froze over again. <laughs> And my home studio is one of the very many, many houses. 30% of Austin is out of power right now. Um, primarily because frozen tree limbs are falling on all the power lines. Like it's crazy out there how yeah. many tree limbs have fallen. Yeah. So no power in my house. So we're recording tonight from <laughs> Medici headquarters. <laughs> uh, actually, like it's our a conference room that we have and I kind of, thought of it as a podcasting place, but oh, yeah. being not practical. Right. <laughs> Plus we've kind of established our, True. Our, our ritual. Yeah. The ceremony in that particular space yeah. where we usually record. So. <laughs> we're kind of out of ceremony right now. So we're a little bit, a little bit off a little bit <laughs> but out, got, of, out got, of sorts, out of sorts. There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> But we have some we have some fun things to talk about today. So hope everybody in Austin is staying warm. Mm-hmm. This time, so this happened what three two two years ago. Yeah, we had a big up. snow apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Snowvid mm-hmm. is what we called it. Uh, and it, people reacted a lot more strongly that time to the power outages. Mm-hmm. This one seems to be worse, but people seem a little calmer about it. Yeah. Or maybe we just haven't heard yet all the all the all the stuff about it just yet. So right. I think last time there's a lot of political tension, and and not that there's not now, but even more so. And I feel like it was it was kind of more of people were making it a political thing than. Uh, I've seen some of that this time, but not nearly as much. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think about that? Like p- people's tendency tendency to make everything political these days. Well, I do see like depending on who the person is in power, like just in Texas, it just happens to be a Republican Abbott as a, as the governor, as the governor. Yeah. And so it's like anything that you can find to blame that party or that person that's opposite you, you kind of just find a way to do it. Right. And it's like, seems like this, that's the game of politics yeah, these days. This it's wouldn't like, happen if a Democrat was in office. It's right. Like, well, right. actually the same thing would have happened. <laughs> I feel like the way that politicians behave is as if they actually believe that if everyone just did exactly what they said, mm. everything would be great. Yeah. Yeah. They're all just like want to be dictators <laughs> in rhetoric. Well, honestly, it's our fault because we're asking uh, in a lot of ways to that. Our politicians are responsible to keep us safe and to, uh, to have responsibility and, and, and sort of as if we're children or, mm-hmm. and, that's not really what politicians are there for. They're there to serve us. Right. And we're supposed to tell them what they're to do or how they're to help us. And mm-hmm. They're supposed to facilitate that. So, I mean, it, do you think that there's, that it's true to some degree that government's job is to keep us safe, protected citizens? 
Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's to the degree that I would disagree with that with. Right. Like probably it's there more to uh keep us safe from each other. <laughs> yeah. More than anything else. Now, th- maybe the the line that gets crossed is when being made safe is conflated with provision. Hmm. Like the government's job is to keep me safe in part by defining things like zoning laws and property boundaries. And like, you know, the, the government says that my property is mine and protects me against that with the legal system and the police department and all of that. Yeah. But there's been a move more recently where, you know, people can't work, let's say because, uh, the power's out, you know, because of the snowstorm. Mm -hmm. And I think people feel like, well, I should be provided for, I can't work today, but maybe I should be paid anyway. Yeah. You know, and that's looking to the government and, and you would say that as a business owner, you'd be like, well, I'm not getting paid. No one's getting paid. I can't pay you for not working. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't also pay your brother who's unemployed because he's not working either. It's like, mm-hmm. where does that stop? You know, I pay for work. Yeah. And that, that person might say, well, the government should pay you to pay me, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we did during COVID. Yeah. Which is it's not that far away from just saying, well, the government should just provide financially for everybody. Mm-hmm. But then where does that money come from? Yeah. Everybody taxpayers. <laughs> yeah. But if they're not working, <laughs> yeah, true. you know, everybody else. Yeah. I mean, there is that certain, and I think this is where the, the gray area for me and I, I can have a lot of leeway in this area is that I do see the government as a sort of safety net So like, you know, you lose your job, you get unemployment for a certain amount of time, as long as you're looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a safety net in there that I can, I can kind of get behind, you know? Uh, and I could also see the argument against something like that. Uh, you know, there's aspects of when people are down their luck or, you know, to give, give them a a certain amount of runway to help them to get back integrated into society to be a productive member. Uh, but then I think sometimes we, conflate that with at some point you have to kind of cut that off or you know we as human beings will just (laughs) utilize that system (laughs) right you'll never grow up Mm -hmm. kind of like if you just paid for your kids all the way into their 20s or 30s or 40s that wouldn't be good nobody would think that that would be good we actually like who's that politician that was running during the midterms and everybody it was i think it was the I don't remember if it was a Republican or a Democrat, but whoever it was, it, the other side was pointing out that he'd lived off his parents until he was like in his forties. Oh, <clears throat> and we, you know, we kind of naturally look down on that. I think I want to say Beto was that way, but, um, I don't know. I don't remember who it was. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is something with this Austin snowstorm that I want to talk about a little bit, hmm. which is, what I find really interesting, you know, it, down here in Texas, at least, well, Texas is so big, this isn't true <laughs> everywhere in Texas, but uh, in Austin, um, you know, we've had these two snowstorms in the last couple of years and, you know, everybody kind of freaks out and most people around here don't know how to deal with it. So you, you know, the, the roads are a mess and people are driving really slow and everything shuts down, even though mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. And people complain that, you know, our power power's out, the energy grid's mismanaged, it's somehow politicians' fault, all of this. And, you know, we were driving around 
kind of running some errands earlier today and just looking at all of the trees that have dropped branches onto power lines and the power lines are broken or sagging, sagging all the Mm -hmm. way down to the ground. I mean, it's really quite a sight. And generally when you're driving around a place like Austin, you just kind of tune out. You don't really see all these power lines, Mm -hmm. but it becomes abundantly clear that like all of our power lines are above ground and in areas where they encounter things like snowstorms regularly, they bury all their power lines Mm -hmm. so that they don't fail in the winter. Because it's not just a storm for a day or two in Colorado, it's, you know, three, four months of of snow and ice. So they can't afford to do it any other way. But then you have a problem. So you might observe that and say, well, as soon as this clears up, we ought to bury all our power lines and then we won't have this problem anymore. The problem with that is, I don't think anybody would vote mm. to spend the money to do that because no. it would be so expensive. So you're kind of like stuck in this area where, well, we're just going to have to suck it up for a couple snowstorms every, you know, let's say five years yeah. on average mm-hmm. and deal with a little bit of pain for a couple of days so that it, rather than pay the, you know, probably billions of billions of dollars that it would take to solve the problem long term. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I think too, with that, it's, it's, you know, for the next maybe two weeks, that's going to be a hot button issue. And maybe there, there will be some <laughs> proposal to do that. Uh, but then once we start to understand that there's trade-offs, okay, well, yeah. if we don't, if we don't spend the billions on, if we spend the billions on this, then we're not going to spend the billions on something else. Right. And, um, so I think I think sometimes in the moment we all kind of become a little bit unreasonable, and we want we kind of feel like there's been an injustice done by you know our government not taking care of us and burying the power lines or whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> and then after after it kind of wears off a little bit, like oh, some other issue kind of comes up, and yeah, that becomes the new thing to to get on to people about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just reminds me that. In complex areas, you know, an energy grid is a complex thing. Mm -hmm. The weather is a complex thing. It's another interesting thing, too, is like the weather is so complex, you can't really predict it. Mm -hmm. For example, we didn't know this winter storm was coming, that we were going to have this issue with, you know, ice on the trees and it was going to take down power lines. Mm -hmm. It's not like news stations or government officials or anybody was like, hey, you know, come Tuesday, there's going to be power outages, so y'all should stock up or whatever, you know, yeah. it just kind of happens. And so you have two, two complex things interacting with one another. And if your instinct is to say, we should fix this, you probably don't know enough about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but it's hard to know because there's an obvious inclination to respond and say, Hey, we should do better here. Mm-hmm. We got, ha- we got a third of Austin without power and it's 32 degrees outside. That's obviously a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. So the, in- the instinct, the inclination is to say, we should do something about it. But well, once you start really thinking about it or looking into it, what is there to be done? You could do something about it. But then as you said earlier, what are all the things that you won't be able to do if you allocate the money that way? Mm-hmm. And would you actually choose to do that? I don't think we, we understand that idea very well. Um, even as a business owner, I think it took me a long time to, 
to think about that or to kind of yeah integrate that into my business is okay <clears throat> if i spend this money on these short term especially short term versus long term investments is there's a lot of things i think i did early on in my business that short term were really good and i thought and and probably had a positive impact even maybe even long term but i know that I'll, quite a few of those decisions kind of hurt my more long-term vision uh for medici and um you know some of it's just being young and and not understanding that sort of idea of right you know it's like you can either spend uh this ten thousand dollars here on you know new grinders for all the stores or you know wait another three years and you'll have ten thousand dollars to spend and plus you can do the you know uh, a new store or uh an upgrade on something and hmm. But you're just always spending that mo- on the most immediate needs and not looking towards the more long-term needs. Hmm. Um, I think there's something there's something really valuable in, in being able to have that more of that, having those sort of nest eggs that you you know. So if you come into a COVID area, you're not like wiped out. You know, if if the government doesn't step in to right. to to take care of you in that sense, you know. But I think it's our thing too. Is if people do keep coming in and stepping in and saving you, then you start to rely on that, you know, that that sort of hand to feed you. And and if that hand is not there, then you almost feel obligated, or uh, that it's your right that they should do that for Mm -hmm. you. Um, When that has pretty much never been the case ever in history, (laughs) up until maybe more the more recent uh, century or so. I mean, maybe there's extreme ex- examples of that where they, you know, um, you know, uh, I think in biblical times of the, you know, the, the storing the, of the wheat and stuff and, you know, giving it out whenever it was like seven years of famine and stuff. I think they actually still <laughs> sold it to the people, but they had it built up. Had it available. Had it available. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I feel like it's a good thing that, you know, thinking about like when you're young, you don't you can't think long-term very well, mm-hmm. maybe in part because you can't conceive of the future very far ahead because you haven't lived very much. Mm. And it's hard to conceive of time outside of experience. Mm. So when you're 20, it's like maybe you can think till you're 30. Mm-hmm. But when you're 16, you can barely think to when you're eight, when you're 20. You know, mm-hmm. you can barely think to the end of high school. Yeah. Right. And... As you get older, time starts to, you, you perceive time moving more rapidly. And so you have more urgency to think, well, I better start thinking about the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. Maybe I need to start thinking about my old age, mm. you know, at some point. Yeah. Retirement, kids, colleges, yeah. uh, whatever it might be. But I mean, you see that when, as a kid, you remember whenever you, summer was coming, it was sort of like summer came and it seemed like it was endless. Right. You know? I don't have to think about anything beyond yeah. summer. Uh, it's two and a half months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it feels like three years. And then as you get, keep getting older, that summer keeps kind of shrinking and shrinking. Yeah. Well, I think it's good that we naturally start to think more long-term as we get older. And we need people who think long-term to contend with people who would radically change things that would hurt things in the long run. Mm-hmm. And then you also need people to push things to progress against, you know, some of the stodginess of those who are more conservative about 
change. Mm-hmm. But it all makes me think, you know, I think something that's missing from our culture is an emphasis on the elders in the, in the conversation, in the narrative. Mm. It, it's, it, we're missing some of the, the people who have experience and can see long-term and think long-term seem to be less weighted in the public dialogue. I'm seeing this a lot in uh, a lot of the financial discussions. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that have been around for maybe maybe the 2009, 2007, 2009 uh, uh, crash. You know, and they've lived through one, but we've had this sort of like extended period of kind of a, almost like a bull market from you know about ten, twelve to present. And you know, when I listen to Younger people talk about that. They seem a lot more bullish on the future and what's happening right now. But when you listen to these older guys talk about it, they're basically saying, no, we haven't felt max pain yet. Right. And And that's that's part of the cycle. That's part of the cycle. And it's huge. Like there's too much, like pretty much 90% of people will want to have nothing to do with the stock market crypto investments they're like i'm just i'm done with this Mm because i mean that's that's the max pain and right and a lot of those older more experienced traders uh and investors are just saying we're not there yet yeah and could that be a year from now or two years from now but they're also saying that it has to happen Mm -hmm. it has to because that clears out all the 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 weak hands or the the fluff that's in the system that kind of gets away it gets away with you know easy money and easy money means when a company can just keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and don't not really have a uh, a positive cash flow uh, or profiting uh, and so that's that's when these that's when these things happen and it kind of washes those out that are just kind of basically a vampire in the system hmm. um, and it just it, it make and it also makes it like right now you're seeing a lot of these tech companies uh, starting to kind of uh, fire people and and kind of what do you call it? Pull back on uh, on a lot of their uh, the things that they're doing because we've been in such a, an excitement mode that you know you have these jobs that people can show up at nine thirty and work for an hour and then go have lunch and mm-hmm. work for another hour right. <laughs> and then go get a massage and then have drinks at four thirty. You know, it's and that's that's great. I would love that job. I, right. I have no problem with that job. But it can't last. It can't last. It's just yeah. not practical. And maybe it's that it can't last because that is a structure that has, like if you think of a company or a business as a, as a structure, that structure has a lot of fluff and baggage and it's hard for it to be strong because it's holding up a lot of unnecessary things. Mm. And so in order for it to move into the future, which by the way, most, do you, do you know the stat for the average lifespan of a company? I don't. It's not very long. No, uh-uh. It's like, there's almost no companies that last more than a hundred years. Like, I think it's kind of staggering. It's like maybe companies don't <clears throat> even last 50 years. I, I know about, I know small businesses. It's sort of, uh, you know, half go under in the first three years. And then I think half of those go under in five years. I mean, just uh, half the ones that last th- three years go under in five years, and barely anybody makes it ten years for small businesses. Right. It's like a, it's like ten percent of those are less that started out <clears throat> last ten years. I mean, it's it's insane. Well, it's almost like just like the market has to clear has to clear it out mm-hmm. every once in a while. Like a forest has to burn every once in a while mm-hmm. in order to continue to grow. 
uh, a company has to clean house every once in a while to, to retain a strong enough structure to last into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like there's another macro version of that in that companies have to go out of business. It's mm-hmm. like the market has to clear and new companies have to come in. Because yeah. at a, some, a certain point, a company becomes too old and rigid and stodgy and they can't innovate anymore. So what happens is a, a new company, a new startup comes that can innovate mm-hmm. and they outcompete the older company with all of the fluff and the you know people posting a day in the life of <laughs> videos with the massages and mm-hmm. wine and ice cream or whatever. You know, a company that's running lean is going to outcompete them mm. and in a free market. That original company is going to get cleared <clears throat> out. And we want that too as consumers because usually that means the 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 products that are coming to us are better and uh, smarter too. Because if you if you have all the I'm just thinking of you know uh, some of the ones I've gone out of business that you know you know look at where J C Penney's is now. Like when I was a kid, like J C Penney's and Dillard's were were kind of the rage. You know, it's like that's mm-hmm. where you went, yeah, true. went and got your stuff and and. You just you just saw it interiorly dilapidated over time, <laughs> you know. Where it just started looks more and more sad. Yeah. And Sears is a great example of that mm-hmm. too. We've, we've talked about them before, but you know, as those things clear out, it's like then you know these new companies come and provide you with uh, uh, products that are more useful to you, like like a Stitch Fix. They send you clothes right. to try on, and you send back three. You know, well, what if J.C. had innovated into that model? You yeah, know, right. They might be standing here today, or Blockbuster, or Netflix. You know, there's there's so many examples of that. Hmm. Um, I mean, Netflix is an interesting example of that they were able to <clears throat> last through a transition hmm. because Netflix came in and started putting Blockbuster out of business, mm-hmm. but then streaming. Hmm started happening and Netflix was able to successfully transition from a mail order model to a streaming model. Maybe they were just young enough at the time that they could do it. Yeah. I remember that moment too, because you could kind of get the shitty movies streamed to you Mm -hmm. and you, but you still had to do the DVDs. Right. And you just kind of slowly like saw that transition. Like I always get excited whenever Oh wow, this is streaming, and so you, you didn't have to get the DVD, right? And and then all of a sudden, DVDs just—I don't even know when that actually happened. The DVDs disappeared, but they just disappeared. They just disappeared. I hadn't interacted with a DVD, like you know, mm. actually held one in a long, long time. <laughs> and about a month ago, I was really wanting to watch this uh, live performance concert mm. of Tom Petty. Oh yeah. And I couldn't find the one I was looking for mm-hmm. anywhere online, but I have it on DVD yeah. from like the year 2000. Oh, wow. I found it and pulled it out. <laughs> and the process, the process felt so silly, hmm. like taking it out of this case and putting it in this thing. And then all the navigation you have to do through the front menu of the DVD. And, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just like on my Apple TV saying, you know, Hey Siri, play Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers <laughs> at the Fremont or whatever it was. Yeah. And it just starts, you know. Totally. Uh-oh. Siri's talking to you now. She woke up. <laughs> Go back to sleep, honey. <laughs> you talk so sweet to her. <laughs> um, interesting. I mean, it reminds me a bit of what we were talking about last week. We were kind of pinging on the theme of death and rebirth hmm. and how that is necessary 
it's necessary to die in small ways so that you can continue living in other ways. And that seems to be true in all these other examples we're talking about, whether it's the, the stock market or, you know, in a company. Why is, why are we so resistant to that? Cause we want like number go up all the time. Right. But it, it can't. Yeah. And the question is, well, why can't well, it actually, maybe what I would say is it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, society becomes more productive, more innovative. The idea that our economy is a pie is the wrong idea. Mm. It's not a fixed sum. This is not a zero sum game. There are new markets created all the time. So the number is going up. The thing is you don't go up um, like linearly or, or, or even reliably. The trend is up over time. Mm But it's like it goes up, but it goes up too much, and that's not sustainable. And then people freak out, and it crashes. And then we kind of regroup, and it goes up again. And whether that's – I mean, I think that's true of uh, you know money and innovation, the economy. But it's also true in something like practice, practicing something, like an mm-hmm. instrument, you know. Or learning a new skill of any time of any kind. We talk about that all the time. That yeah. you you feel great progress and then you plateau. Mm-hmm. And even if your skills are not getting worse, it feels to you like they are because you're used to the euphoria. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're used to the feeling of getting mm-hmm. better, and then a, a flat line feels like withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of have to do that. I mean, maybe it's the same with consciousness too. Hmm. You know, you're learning and then at some point you have to rest. And what happens when you rest? You kind of think, well, I'm not learning or I'm wasting mm. that time or whatever. But no, it's like you're, you are absorbing, categorizing, uh, moving information from sort of conscious, like the conscious wrestling of new information and and incorporating it into what you know. Mm. And then you don't have to deal with it directly. You can access it when you need it. That's the same. Maybe that's the same thing. We move towards things in this zigzag pattern Mm. rather than directly. We don't go straight to the source. It's so fascinating. There's, as you're talking about that, there's, there's so many analogies that kind of went to my head is I feel like our, our biology and, and nature demonstrate this so many areas, like a lot of things we've kind of mentioned up to this point. But then there's also such thing as like, you know, candy or heroin or uh, uh, fentanyl. It's these things that might give you this immediate pleasure. And it's like, why can't I just ride this out till the end of time? You'll die. <laughs> or right. with candy, you have a, you have a sugar crash, you right. know, and then it's a, it's a lesser extreme of that. And so there's something in nature that tells us that we have to kind of have these, these ups and downs and that, you know, if you're just, if you're just going after the high that you're going to, you're basically going to die. Hmm. It reminds me of, um, do you remember in, so in CS Lewis's four loves, Mm -hmm. he's describing nearness I think he's talking about nearness to God in, in what he's describing, but he said you can be, you can be near something by proximity mm-hmm. and near something by approach, which are two different things. And mm-hmm. the analogy he uses is like 
if you are on a long journey, you're going journeying to your hometown, and maybe your hometown is just below this fairly large cliff, and you come up to the edge of the cliff, you mm-hmm. can see your town, you can see your friends, you could even yell at them. But in order to get there, you've got quite a journey because you've actually got to turn around and go back. You've got to go away from it so you can mm-hmm. start circling down this mountain that's going to bring you finally to the valley to get to the town. So even though you were near by proximity, you have to go the opposite direction and take a long road mm. to get there. Yeah. So the approach is, <clears throat> is lengthy. Yeah. And a lot of things are like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've just <clears throat> definitely experienced this a lot in the crypto world where, you know, people are, are putting these like insane amount of yield on your coins where, you know, like a, uh, a treasury, you get maybe 4% yield on your, on your hundred dollars or something like that. And some, some of these are like a thousand percent or something like that. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's something that's just not sustainable. And I kind of equate that to more of the heroin aspect of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hmm. but you kind of, you come up to this place where you're looking and you're like, Oh, okay. I need to put my money to work. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, well, this is the best deal. A thousand percent back on my money in a year. And it's like, of course I'm going to do that. <laughs> why would I do, last why would I do this 4% over here? <laughs> and, uh, hmm. uh, and you know, you just get wrecked. Yeah. And so you can come back and say like, okay, well that one didn't work out. I'm gonna try this other one. And at some point we start to kind of learn these lessons and this wisdom that a lot of these older investors have is like, it's like, that's why you have maybe 1% or 2% in risky, risky investments, but you have to put a lot of your money into more conservative type of type of things. Yeah. Like slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so guilty in all of these areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we get more wise as we get older. I mean, not compared to anybody else, but I am definitely wiser than I was eight years ago, a yeah. year ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm any better. Well, that's but what failure I'm does. Definitely wiser. <laughs> that's what failure does to you. Uh, totally. I mean, there's no difference between failure and learning, but I think it's like all these things we're, we're talking about right now is that there, there is no way around it. Like you, 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 the government can't protect us from this. There's something that you have to experience as an individual mm-hmm. to understand these things. Right. You have to understand loss. If you don't encounter that, you know, when we're young, our parents somewhat protect us from some of these things. And as we got older, we were, the consequences were more something that we bore, we bore on ourselves, you yeah. know? And I mean, luckily you have, we have families and friends and people around us that do help us and bear that weight for us. And even the government to some degree, but we have to be careful that we don't steal those lessons from each other and yeah, and from our kids. Or, when you say that, steal those lessons from each other, you mean prevent people from learning the lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like rushing in there when your kids are in trouble and, you know, fixing it with money or something or another instead of, okay, well, what are you going to do? you got into this. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to, I'm here for you. I'm here with you, but yeah, you know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take care of this for you. 
Yeah. It also, it's like you can rob someone of learning a lesson, but you're not just robbing them of learning the lesson. You're also robbing them of, of experiencing a really unique and excellent pleasure, Mm. which is, I don't know if I can solve this. I'm scared, Mm. but then you go try and you do. And that's such a wonderful feeling. It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'm more than I thought I was. Yeah. I'm more capable and that feels good. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think this ties to the the first part of our conversation a a lot and that that's kind of the government, how we set up our government needs to be, allow that process to happen in in a, in a way that they're sort of the last resort. Like, I mean, even like when you talk about like the, the central bank is the lender of last resort. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but, um, Oh, like banks don't want to do it, but like whenever they need money from, I want to say Contango, but that's not it. Ah, shoot. I lost it. Anyways, but they, there's that sort of like, they will lend money at the very, but you don't want to do that because that puts you in a financial situation that is not always great, but it is, it keeps you in business. You know, it's probably even like bankruptcy chapter seven or chapter Mm -hmm. 11. It's sort of like this last ditch effort that we're going to help you but there's some consequences that you're going to have to face as, as, as I'm helping you do this. Right. Um, and it could end up being, you go out of business anyways, but, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a little bit of a safety net. So I think there's some things that what, whether those are good or, or bad, uh, those could be argued. I would take that, but, um, <laughs> sorry, there's so many examples of this right now, even with in the crypto world, we've had these, huge like FTX and Luna and uh, three arrow and, and a few others that have crashed and burned mm-hmm. and there was nobody to pick them up. <laughs> right. And there was something kind of, I mean, it's really sad. A lot of people, a lot of lost a lot of money. Matt and I might have, I lost a little bit, <laughs> 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 but, uh, but there's something like that's really healthy about it too. I mean, you and I learned our lesson. Yeah. There was, and that, that really sucked. And I think a lot, some other people have learned some really big lessons in that one. Yeah. Um, but there was no government to, to bail them out mm-hmm. or to bail us out in that situation. And, yeah. and that's a, that's something that you need to allow people to go through. And sometimes like maybe even like the 2007 when we were bailing out like AGI and some of these other companies, like, like, I don't think they le- learned their lesson. They're just doing the same thing they were doing before. And, and you know, all these guys got these huge bonuses and stuff. And right. it's like, no, you were supposed to be hurting. How can you have this million dollar, $10 million bonus? That seemed really egregious to me. Yeah. Talking about what happened like in 07, 08. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough about it to speak to it, but <clears throat> it did seem like the banks, the, the banks caused the problem and then benefited from the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Well, you want to transition? Yes, yeah, do it. Okay. I have an announcement. Ooh, wee. <laughs> uh, so I've said it a bunch of times, actually, on the podcast for years mm-hmm. that I've had some things that I've been wanting to write. It's a, a series of essays. It really started in the year 2020. I, I outlined, I think, 10 essays that I wanted to write. I remember talking about it on the podcast um, with Allison mm-hmm. when she was on maybe at the beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then when she was on again, maybe a year later, it came, she brought it back up and, <laughs> you know, I'll just blame COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't do it. Uh, I've done a lot of other writing though. Um, 
almost accidental writing. Mm. The last three years, I've played less music probably than I've I've I have in a long time. Uh, but I've been very sort of busy writing. And a lot of times, it starts as a a journaling session. I've been doing a lot of journaling, and then sometimes poetry comes out. Sometimes the outline of an essay, sometimes a little short story. Um, and so I decided that I'm going to, or I did start a Substack, where I'm going to publish some of the things that I've written over the last several years. And I'm going to actually write the essays <laughs> that I said that I wanted to and uh, publish those there. So I wanted to let everyone listening know about that. It's mattmccloskey.substack.com. Go check it out. There's two pieces up right now. The first one is just sort of an intro uh, outlining my thoughts about why I'm doing it and why I didn't do it for so long. Mm -hmm. And then the second is the full version of a, I don't know, what would you call that? A memoir sort of thing. I've read a little bit of it on the podcast before, but it's my account of my my memory of being born. Mm. So I just published that today. So I'd love for you guys to go check it out, subscribe, and I'm looking forward to publishing some essays. A lot of them are going to be on topics that we've covered here on the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to write about forgiveness and practice um, and decision-making. Those are three that I'm going to work on over the next couple of weeks. I really love that idea because, you know, when you and I get together and talk, we're working through a lot of ideas, but I think there's something about you writing them down in a sub stack that mm -hmm. can, I would believe, bring more clarity because like we're, we're, we're spitballing here. We're trying right. to figure out and understand something, but there's something about when you write something down in a coherent paragraph and, you know, thesis conclusion kind of thing. Well, it fits the analogy hmm. of our show. Hmm. It's like the show is we're on the shore, Yeah, you know, spitballing, guessing, exploring, discovering the process of writing is sort of like filing that into the land of knowledge. Oh, Ooh, wow. <laughs> Just work that right in. Worked it right in <laughs> home run. <laughs> I feel like I need to find something to do that with. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. I'm also really, uh, like, as soon as I, so I started the Substack actually a year ago mm. and promptly ignored it. Mm. And I wrote a bit about that in the first first piece I published um, about why I did that and the fear, I think, that I felt in endeavoring to do that thing that I wanted to do. And it's interesting, as soon as I published the first piece and had some interaction on it and people started subscribing and I was like, Oh no, I don't <laughs> crap. I actually have to do this now, mm. which is a really funny thing to feel, um, that I don't quite understand. Mm. And maybe this is something else I'll try to write about, but you know, wh why is it that there are lots of <clears throat> times and in lots of areas we want to do something and we don't, mm. We want to do something and then we're afraid and it feels bad and we don't do it. It's like, why would you not do something you want to do? What is that mess? Well, I think there's uh, there's the idea of accountability and you're, you're now, you've now put something into the world and it's, it's, it can be judged. And uh, uh, Brett and Heather kind of cover this in a, in a sense when they were talking about academics, 
um, as they publish and write books and stuff like that, uh, you know, you very rarely see somebody come back and say, well, you know what, that thing I wrote 15 years ago, I kind of got it wrong or this aspect Mm. I got wrong. Yeah. I want to kind of, I want to update that or correct that is like, once you start putting things out into the world, you know, then there's kind of the humility of being able to correct along the way. Um, because probably what, how you think about things is not the, how you're going to think about things 10 or 15, 20 years from now. I mean, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, totally. you know, there'll be some sort of adjustment, new information, yeah. you know, uh, revelation or whatever it might be that kind of right. sheds light. Well, and I was just really surprised that the title of the first thing that I wrote about this process of neglecting and then finally doing something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I got quite a bit of positive feedback from people just saying, mm-hmm. I'm really glad you said that. And I feel that in my life and I'm excited you're doing this. Yeah. I'm excited you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You're a good writer. You and Allison both are good writers. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that I'm scared of is like, I, I think that I have the ability to be a good writer, but it's sort of like, maybe I don't practice it enough mm-hmm. to know how to turn that on. And, and there's a part of me that thinks, well, what if I sit down to write the next essay and it just sucks? <laughs> you know? totally. um, but there's just a wonderful thing about when you finally get over the hurdle of sharing something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. You don't even have to have done it yet. You just say to the world, here's something that I want mm-hmm. and I'm going to confess that essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the world responds like people respond to that. Mm. They say, yeah, good. I'm glad you're being honest about what you want because I, because I think almost all everyone has this feeling of like, there's all kinds of things that I want that I don't feel like I can have, or I don't feel like I should say out loud or, you know, and then when somebody does, I think it's inspiring. Hmm. Um, and that word confession, and it, uh, that's really interesting because I had this thought some time ago that the act of confession, whether it's sort of in the Catholic sense or in, let's say, a relationship, you know, you did something that you shouldn't have, or hmm. um, maybe in a business, maybe you broke the rules or whatever. I don't know. You're confessing to something. Mm-hmm. It could just be telling somebody what you want, you know, it could be a lover or it could be a boss. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to raise you confess what was inside and hidden. I think that's what confession is. Something that was inside and hidden is revealed and made brought into the light. Mm-hmm. And that act is a decision to no longer be alone. And it's like when I confessed that I wanted to write, I wasn't alone. People mm-hmm. responded. And that was a wonderful and horrifying thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, crap, if I actually do this, you're going to pay attention. Now I've got to worry about how good it is. Mm-hmm. But at least in that moment, that's just such a wonderful thing to, to not feel alone. You know, I've been carrying this desire for a long time, wrestling with it feeling ashamed that I wasn't doing it, feeling like I'm not becoming my full self or the self that I want to be, feel alone in that. And then you confess and you're not alone anymore. Hmm. Which is interesting because there's, there's, <clears throat> I feel like there's also a journey that's a part of this. Um, you know, when you first, you want to do something and 
you kind of have to get to this point that where you are willing to well, maybe even like maybe even a humility of like I might fail, people might not like this, <clears throat> and then you put it out into the world, and there's usually a positive response because anytime you put things out into the world in the beginning, it's usually family and friends that you know read it first. You right. Know, like like when I opened my coffee shop, you know, it was like. It was all, it was probably 90% of our customers were friends and family. And then after about six months to a year and a half, that was probably like 30, 70, 30% were friends and family. Right. And so, so and, and it's funny cause you also start to get a little bit more pushback as that friends and family ratio starts to go down. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, you know, there's more criticism, whether, whether just or unjust, you know, yeah. and, and at some point, you know, if, if you do become somewhat more notable, uh, that criticism kind of starts to get pretty heavy, you yeah. know, and sometimes you, you, uh, you can only, you can't hear the, the, the love that's thrown your way because the, that, that little bit of criticism is, mm-hmm. is so loud. So I think that's something well, that, yeah, we're much more sensitive to criticism than we are to praise. Hmm. Yeah. Cause crit- criticism falls in line with how we see ourselves, I think. Hmm. Praise doesn't. We mm. tend to to write off praise like, oh, I might be good, but I'm not that you're you're you know over exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Whereas we don't say of of negative of criticism, we don't really say, oh, you're exaggerating. Mm. You don't receive it that way internally. Yeah. But I think that's true. Is like when something grows, you start getting more negative pushback. I actually think that, I think that that's a really good thing. Totally. I think so too. It's also an <clears throat> indication that what you're doing is working. Yes. So look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I remember we got our first negative <laughs> review on <laughs> Apple podcasts and uh, I, I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> totally. we're real. We're, real. <laughs> we're a real boy. Somebody doesn't like us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they, they said we were boring. I was uh, like, fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's possible. It's yeah. It's likely. Uh-huh. That is. I mean, I think again, this is something that uh, you hear from a lot of people that have sort of, I guess, attained some sort of fame. Is that um, you really don't know that you've you've made it until you do have some of maybe the harsher and more mm-hmm. unrealistic criticism, and that's almost it's, it's more of a of a a badge of honor. Hmm. Uh, it's not like you go out there and look for it, but I mean, it, it, it sort of will find you. Do you think of anybody, <laughs> you think of anybody famous, you know, it's like for as many people that love Biden, there's probably equal as many people that hate them just as much as those people that love him. And the same with Trump, you know, and yeah. it's almost, I mean, maybe, well, uh, maybe Gandhi or something like that, but you, but he even had people that hated him, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I mean, obviously Jesus, because they killed him. <laughs> right. You know, it's like there's there's no example of those people. It's like the two things that are pretty much uh, determined. Or, uh, uh, oh, how, what do you say? It? Inevitable is that if you are going to be excellent at something, you're going to have uh, uh, some really harshness also thrown at you and mm-hmm. uh, harsh criticism and. But that only refines refines you more, hmm. and you become sharper if you don't let it break you. <laughs> yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, I, I I don't think either of us have ever 
gotten well maybe you with Medici well you, you music. tell me um yeah but what I was gonna say is oh, like okay. I don't I don't think either of us have gotten to the level of a you know somebody let's say like this would be the extreme end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but like a Joe Rogan who has oh, yeah. 19 million followers on Twitter mm-hmm. or something like that. Like the amount of negativity, somebody like that mm. just by, uh, you know, like the order of scale is mm. going to be so large that you could really drown in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if I were in a position where, you know, let's say that there was a hundred ne- negative comments about me online every day. Mm. I, I wonder how I would handle that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah, you hear a lot of those people just, they don't read their comments. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think at a certain point you have to just stop reading comments because yeah. it would, it's too much to handle. Mm-hmm. It's probably too much to handle on the positive side as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that much praise could make you true an egotistical maniac mm. really quickly. True. So it's best to just <clears throat> keep your head down, focus on the work. Mm hmm. But, but again, I'm speaking hypothetically. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's one thing I've, I have experienced with Medici is that, you know, we've been around since 2006 and somewhat at the beginning of uh, especially coffee in the, in the South and especially in Texas and Austin. And there is a sort of like, as you grow and people, uh, you know, will go and do their own thing. It's like, or, or come in and try to do something and they sort of, sort of use you as how to differentiate f- from the, from you. Cause you're sort of like the, the standard of what's been, what's been there. <clears throat> and so sometimes like, you know, you kind of get that sort of, uh, well, we do it better than Medici in this way, or, you know, it's sort of like, it's, I, it's sort I, of like a dish dish or like a put down to, in order to kind of like inflate your, mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I totally get it too. It makes sense. I mean, you, but it, it's another one of those things. that's sort of a, a hidden compliment. Yes, exactly. Cause what they're saying <laughs> is that you're the incumbent, mm-hmm. whether you knew that or not, you yeah. know, yeah. you're the one to differentiate from, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been interesting. It's also, cause I mean, I think at first I was sort of like, Hey, what, you know, we do good things. You guys do good things. It's, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not a competition here, you know, it's but a, it is, Yeah, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I've never really, I'm kind of more of a heads down kind of person anyways. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that kind of got under my skin at first and, yeah. and more and more. I'm, I've, that was another topic that, I was thinking about for tonight also is, but, uh, we don't have to go into that. Is this, what what it, is it? It's oh, now I've just completely lost it. Um, yeah. How do you handle that rejection? Um, it was in this whole idea of as you start to grow and mature, Dude, I, I totally lost that one. That, that plane did that, that plane did not land. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back to yeah, you. Yeah, well, hmm. but I'm super excited about your Substack. Thanks. <laughs> I really am too. Mm-hmm. I'm. I I hope that I have the discipline to do it how I want to do it, and to and to write the things that I want to write, and not be too judgmental of it and, you know, hold it back. Mm-hmm. Cause I've, 
I have things that I want to say. I have things that I want to write about and I'm going to try to do it just for me. And hopefully that brings some kind of value to, to someone else. So when you, when you think about, uh, again, I don't know how, how much you've, you've, how much structure you've put around this, mm-hmm. but is this something that you're wanting to have a lot of structure around or is this something that's more of a, a leisure activity that you're serious about? <laughs> Does that uh, make sense? Yeah. A bit of both. Um, I have a bunch of things that I've written already mm-hmm. that I'm going to publish on there. And that's probably going to be the leisure side of it. Mm-hmm. I've already loaded up about six things that I'm going to publish and just kind of over the next month or so oh, put those cool. out. But then I've got, you know, a, a rough list of probably 20 topics that I want to write essays on. Mm-hmm. That's going to take a long time and take a lot of discipline. Yeah, And I've, I think I'm going to at least begin by trying to do that. So Jordan Peterson put out this essay app Hmm. uh, online. Actually, his son did. His son is leading it. But um, it's it's structured around the way Peterson, when he was a professor, taught his students to write. And it's very Mm in-depth. Well, in-depth isn't the right word. Rigorous. It's rigorous. Mm. Yeah. So the idea is that you... You start with a question. You have to have a question that you're interested in. You write an outline of about 10 sentences. Mm -hmm. Then for each of those 10 sentences, you write 10 sentences. And then you do all kinds of rewrites and reorders, and then that's a draft. Then you start the process over again, and you do it again. It's very lengthy. And generally, when I write, I write from a place of inspiration. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I have things I need to say, and I just sit down and type, and, you know, I don't... Uh, I, I don't, I guess, set out to write anything in particular. Hmm. So I want to try this method, and that's going to be the discipline side of it. And I'm thinking <clears throat> that I will probably try to allot a certain amount of time a week to it. Mm-hmm. At least start that yeah. way. You know, we had a conversation when you were talking about your uh, scheduling your day, oh, scheduling yeah. your hours. Uh-huh. So I might try to do something like that and see how that goes. And maybe commit to it for three months or something. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. And if that goes well, maybe I'll continue. And if it doesn't, I'll try something else. But, um, I don't intend to stop writing anytime soon. And so I'm just going to try to put more things out, out into the public sphere. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed the, the, the calendar thing. Yeah. It's, is that going well? It really is. It's like Have you, you hit your three months? No, it's, uh, okay. I'm just into the second month. Okay. Almost still feeling good about it. Yeah, totally. Nice. I mean, even if I don't do it, it's like, <clears throat> I'll come up to that, that time frame, and then I'll just move it to another section. Mm. Like, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm into this other thing or like, <laughs> I think I mentioned this last time. I'll, I'll do something I didn't want to do early in the day. I'm like, uh, I kind of already did it, <laughs> <laughs> but it keeps, it just keeps it at the forefront of yeah, my mind, you right. know? So it's like good, it's good directional, yeah. um, thing, but. And also know where to put things too. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh no no, I, I can work on that on Thursday afternoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't I don't find myself all over the place. Right. Sometimes I am, but yeah, it definitely. I mean, kind of. If you uh, you guys should go check out uh, Matt's tweet that he did uh, today or yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talks about like you know doing what you want to do and and he brought up a lot of questions. We might have to get into this next podcast, but. Mm-hmm. 
it has to do with a lot of things we're talking about right now is like, there's a lot of things you don't want to do, but that lead to the goal of goals of what you do want to do. And, and that's something that, um, I think that's hard to sometimes balance. Well, should we leave that for, let's leave that for the next, for time, the yeah. next one. Mm-hmm. And because there is a lot there mm-hmm. that we could get into and it does, that is a nice actually transition from where we're leaving this one. Totally. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, that's, that's a lot that, I mean, I know, you know, you and I both have so many <laughs> aspirations and stuff like that. Yeah. And I know you have like all these things you want to do. And this is one of those ones that it's happening. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's badass. Cool. Well, you want to leave it there for tonight? Sounds great. Okay. Yeah. New place, new squeaks from, yeah. <laughs> new squeaks, new chair squeaks uh-huh. from Medici headquarters. This has been shores of ignorance. <laughs> See you guys. Love y'all. Cheers. Love Cheers. you guys.